and welcome to the LARB Radio Hour, brought to you by reader-supported LA Review of Books. I'm your host, Kate Wolf, and I'm joined by my co-host, Eric Newman. Hi, Kate. Hi, Eric. And this week, we're listening to an interview that I recorded with Claire Denis, the very revered, respected, and amazing French filmmaker. So, Kate, could you just kind of help our listeners get grounded a little bit? Like, kind of, who is Claire Denis and what films is she most known for? Okay. I'm not sure what her most famous film is. She started making films in the late 80s. There was her debut, Chocolat, which is about a young girl in Africa and her relationship to someone that works in her family. I think Claire Denis is kind of known. She did live in Africa as a child. I think her parents were diplomats of some kind, and she's known for making films about colonialism and, you know, addressing race in a pretty head-on way in her in her films. So that's one aspect of her filmmaking. But then, you know, she has these other films, Beau Travail, uh, Trouble Every Day, which is about vampires. High Life is her English language debut that was about people um, on a spaceship. So she's, she's really a, kind of all over the place. She's, she's made a, a very varied body of work and her films are just visually stunning. The one before this that I feel like in some ways relates to this is this movie called Let the Sunshine In. She's mm. worked now with Juliette Binoche for a number of films in a row. And this new movie is called Both Sides of the Blade. And it, it stars Juliette Binoche and Vincent Landon as this couple... They're uh, reunited with someone from their past who they both have a past with. And uh, Juliette Binoche has a romantic past with this man, Francois. And um, <laughs> he kind of ruins everything or he or not ruins, but he changes everything when he when he comes back into their lives. And it's a very dramatic, um, sensual, intense film. I really it sounds very quintessentially it. French. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's something we talk about. Yes, I say, okay. oh, I, I've heard this film described as very French. And, and uh, Claire Denis had a, a funny uh, response to that because, yes, she's French. She makes films in France. Why wouldn't it be a French film? I, I get it. <laughs> Fair um, enough. I get it. And we we had a lot of fun talking and she disagreed with a lot of my questions. But that was a delight for me to be arguing uh, friendly with Claire Denis. So it was really a real pleasure to speak with her. All right, well, let's get to that interview. Great. I'm very happy to be speaking with the filmmaker Claire Denis today. Denis' many films include Chocolat, her 1987 debut, Ninette et Bonnie, for which she was awarded a Golden Leopard at the Locarno Film Festival, Beau Travail, Trouble Every Day, 35 Shots of Rum, White Material, and Let the Sunshine In. In 2018, she made her English language debut with the film High Life, starring Robert Pattinson. She joins me to speak about her latest film, Both Sides of the Blade, which is out in theaters now. It stars Juliette Binoche and Vincent Landon as a couple, Sarah and Jean, who have been together for almost a decade. Sarah works in broadcasting, and Jean is a former rugby player looking for a job, but finding it difficult after serving a prison sentence some time ago. Sarah used to be with a different man named Francois, who Jean used to work with. When Francois reemerges in their lives, Sarah is overcome by yearning for him, returned to a love that never really went away. Jean is more circumspect, but begins to work with Francois again, and the melodrama unfurls from there. The film probes the power of female desire and the possibilities of escaping one's past 
as well as subtly examining bureaucracy and race and class tensions in France. It's a really beautiful film, and I so appreciate you being here today, Claire. So I thought we could start by you telling me a little bit about what drew you to this story and why you wanted to adapt Christine Anjou's novel for the screen. Actually, it started because I had a project before the pandemic started, and I couldn't do it because traveling was not allowed. The actor I was supposed to work with were blocked in film that get delayed. And Vincent Lando called me and said, Claire, you know what? Let's do something. Let's stop waiting. Let's do a film. Let's do something. And I said, oh, Vincent, I, I don't know. I have no idea. And then I realized he and Juliet had never been together in a film. And I thought, and Vincent thought there were like a pair, you know, same strength, same age. And I was thinking, but in the same time, I was working on another project with Christine. And I told her, maybe it was like July last year. And I said, and she said, I don't have time to go back to another story. I want to finish a novel. I don't have time. And she said, you can take my previous novel and try to make something out of it. And that novel was a very autobiographical novel of her, where the woman was Christine and speaking in the first person, you know, I do this, I saw that. And the two men she mentioned in the novel, I knew the two men, the man she's living with and the ex-lover. And I told her, oh my God, I have to change because I know them both. And the film cannot be a first person movie like your novel. So I managed to twist the novel, of course, asking Christine about it, but we, we managed like that. And in a rush, because of the pandemic, it was not so easy to find right location, but I needed not so many. I had the grandmother. The grandmother is not in the novel. The son is not in the novel. I mean, there are children in the novel, but not that way. We did location scouting very fast. Everybody wearing masks. We were tested three times a week. All this thing of the winter pandemic. The summer was hard, but the winter was very cruel. Not only for France, but for all over the world. Huh? Because I think the cold was activating the virus. I had a small budget. So we shot very fast. And with great actors, easy and fantastic. Amazing people. Juliette, Bull, Mati, Vincent and Grégoire. It was like my family, you know, and little Issa also. I had this very warm feeling of loving them, you know, even yeah. if the story is really violent. You know, I think maybe the elements that you brought to the story make it more to me than a story about a woman torn between two men. Because Sarah, 
she's enraptured by this past. She sees Francois. She feels so much for him. But Jean doesn't have the same relationship to Francois. There's some feeling that perhaps Francois was partly responsible for Jean going to prison. So there's these two people who share a history, but they're relating to it so differently. And Sarah is drawn to the history and Jean is much more circumspect about it. And she wants to go back to the past. And at one point he says, literally, fuck the past. So I thought that was an interesting element, especially relating to other films you've made where people have a shared history that they are seeing very differently and that that added a real complexity to the story. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. It's true. I think Jean also is trying to recover from a past that was not good for him. Maybe because of Francois, because of his life, having not been able to live with his son, to let his mother to deal with the son, probably feels guilty about that. And Jean is trying hard to make a life perfect from now on, you know. He wants everything to be perfect for Sarah, for his son, for him. is looking for a, not a peaceful life, but a life that he will be able to like, you know. A life that he will be able to appreciate, not only to be in love with Sarah, he is in love with Sarah, but also to create a little company, to make money, you know. I think it's so hard to have a man of his age to ask his wife, I have to do this and that. Could I borrow your credit card? I think it's not easy, you know. So he's trying to create a real balance in his life that he has lost probably. Of course, he has Sarah with him, but maybe he wants the son, his mother to rest. I mean, he wants more harmony in everything. And of course, Francois is a danger. He knows, he's almost sure about it. And he could feel Sarah is in love with him. He knows that, but he could feel also Sarah She has a better life in a way. She's making money. She works for the radio. It's a great French radio that covers Africa and Middle Orient. So, I mean, she maybe has a better life, you know. She owns the apartment. It belongs to her in a way, you know. And his car, his adorable old car is in her garage, you know. All this is makes his life more fragile. And her, he could feel her strong enough, happy enough to be tempted by a movement of freedom, you know. Not to quit him. I think that maybe she wants to taste this feeling in her of this old desire she feels, you know. This dangerous burn she wants to go back to, you know? And he couldn't he see that. I don't think he can understand because this is not possible when you love someone. But he try. He tries. Tell me if this is a stretch, but reading it through your other films, I almost wondered if there was some 
analogy to some of the work that you've made about colonialism and people revisiting a colonial past, some with perhaps a more romantic view and others feeling like that it would be impossible to go back to a past like that, or the power differential even between people, you know, the white people who were in a colonized place and the people who were actually of that place, those differences, if this film had any connection to that. Your analyze is maybe true. I never thought of that. I, I thought of Sarah speaking with Christine. I thought that Sarah, interpreted by Juliette, was a woman who, at this time of her life, she wants, I don't know if it's possible, she wants to behave a little bit like a man would. She wants to feel that little, little, at the very beginning, hint by hint, freedom, day by day. She wants it more. And in the beginning, she doesn't want to cheat on Jean. But in the end, she is. But as she says to Jean, I always walk straight, straight. I always did what I was asked to do. And for once, I did something wrong. And she tell him, it's a scene I really love, that scene, these dialogues were written by Christine. When I met you, uh, Francois introduced me to you. And at the end of the party, I ask you, she says to Jean, where are you going? He said, oh, I walk home to go back to my wife. And she asked Francois, are you staying with me tonight? And she says, no, no, no. And Francois said, no, no, no. I go home. And she said to Jean, you know, me, I would have loved at that moment to be this wife you were going back to. So she's so honest in a way. Yeah, the scene where they have this really intense fight towards yeah. the end of the film, that was such a powerful scene. And both of them are just really at the height of their powers as actors. I was wondering if a scene like that, if that's a difficult scene to direct or where for you when working with actors, like what's the most challenging kind of material you could do if it's, or if it's more technical scenes, like what's the challenge for you when I you're think, working with actors? I think we knew all the time when we start shooting that this scene would be hard on us, you know, hard on actors with their line, with their energy, as you say, rise raising that violence. And Juliette asked me to do it in a row, not to cut it in two nights, you know, to do it even with extra hour. I said to Eric, the DP, I said, take the camera and unheld and let's walk with them. I don't want them to have to redo. I don't want to say cut, no, redo. No, I said, Let's walk with them, the complete, let's get to the end of that terrible fight. The end is when he says, you are a slut, which he hate to say, but he did say, you are a whore. And he knows she's not. So he wants to apologize for that as she wants to apologize. So to reach that thing, I wouldn't say I direct. I was 
walking by them with Eric, the camera, how would I direct? They were like two fighters, you know? How can you say to a fighter, hey, please, no, no, could you redo that? No, 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 no. Directing is a way to be trusting in confidence with those who are, I don't know, all this energy they needed for that night. And I remember at the end of it, Juliette was in tears, Vincent too, and we were too. Also the boom guy, you know? Oof, yeah. I don't think for me this is direction. It's filmmaking, yes. Filmmaking, you don't, you're not direct on your own. You are like working with those actors is, working with actors for me, it's not directing them. No, I think so, no. No, I don't think so. Does that also have to do with, you know, this familiarity with Juliet or Vincent that you've worked with them before, that that sure. relationship is built? Sure, but I always, when I did A High Life, it was the first time I was working with Robert Pattinson. And we were shy to each other at the very beginning. And I hate rehearsing, so... We prepare ourselves in different ways, speaking about the script, speaking about wardrobe, blah, 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 blah. Rehearsing in a place with no gravity, things like that. But then in the end, this time we spent together was great because it gave me a trust in him and he could also trust in me. So I think I felt immediately in a very close relation with Robert, you know? I was not directing Robert. I was watching Robert doing things, mm-hmm. holding a baby. For me, direction is uh, the moment I have the right space for the film, the right light, the everything I can bring that is good for the film, I bring. But then there is a moment where the space belongs to the acting. Makes of course, sense. I can always say, cut. This is true. <laughs> but the way I say cut is never to broke or to block. It's just, I think the way I say cut is to say thank you. You're listening to the LARB Radio Hour. We've been speaking with Claire Denis, whose new film is Both Sides of the Blade. We'll return to that conversation in just a moment, but first we have this week's book recommendation. We're excited to have Nell Zink back with us on the line today. Nell is the author most recently of Avalon, and she joins us today for this week's book recommendation. So Nell, what book are you recommending? I would like to recommend No Signal Area, by Robert Perisic. He's a Croatian writer and it's spelled P-E-R-I-S-I-C as in Charlie Perisic. Okay. Um, And this is just a a novel I think is really fascinating, uh, partly because of the female characters, which I think are really unusually genuine or something, uh, uh, like real, Mm. convincing, like not stereotyped at all which I think is almost strange. <laughs> you know, you don't get that a lot. And it's also fascinating to me because it's about 
the aftermath, you know, as everything in the Balkans now is the, the aftermath of this civil war, mm. these civil wars they had in the 90s, with the background of this lost utopia of Yugoslavia, which had a good reputation and seems to have been forgotten, perhaps rightfully, because, uh, you know, as soon as they like took the lid off, as soon as right. capitalism became an option, suddenly it turned out all these people, they weren't socialists, they were just gangsters or something. Mm. And he portrays so, I don't want to say beautifully, but he does it a really good job of showing how in a situation of chaos and anarchy, it's not the cream that rises to the top. It's the people who are willing to use force who are very soon calling the shots. That seems so hauntingly do, reflective of so our you, own time. You do get these kind of this mafia state. And at the same time, it's still full of sensitive, poetic people who were raised. And, and that's something that strikes me living here in Eastern Germany as well. There are a lot of people who were raised on socialist ideals on beautiful ideals you know a lot of it was entirely fictitious as far as it's having been realized um, really going on but you know what they learned in the boy scouts was not you know to work hard and be a success it was more like you know let's cooperate and make friends with people in other nations and it's i guess the paradoxicalness of it is something that appeals to me. Was this the first book of his that you've encountered or have you read other works by him? I've read two other novels. One is called Our Man in Iraq and it was his first novel and it's more, I don't want to say more more formulaic, but it's less critical of these like gangster type characters. He, mm. he like seems to still think of them as being slightly glamorous where in No Signal Area, he's so clearly grown up and realized, no, every time a man is like this, he just leaves a swath of devastation in his wake. You would mention at the top that you really love the novel's portrait of, of women as like real and complicated, but specifically like quite real. Can you talk a little yes. bit about how do women kind of encounter this world of gangsters in the novel? Well, simply that the female characters have are given as much space as the male characters. And mm. there are these sort of letters and internal monologues by a girl who has gone away to university in, in Zagreb, where I, just, I felt like I was reading something written by a friend. Mm. I mean, it was just an... an an amazing feat of of identification and his depiction of the sexual relationships between these characters because you know it's it's the balkans in post socialist states people don't necessarily beat around the bush when it comes to hooking up you know they, they're also very very subtly developed i guess this sounds great can you give us the author and title one more time no Signal Area by Robert Perisic. Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Nell Zink, author of Avalon. You're listening to the LARB Radio Hour. We now return to our conversation with Claire Denis, whose new film is Both Sides of the Blade. 
Yeah, the, the space in this film seems very specific to me in that it's claustrophobic. You know, it opens with this expansive shot of them in the ocean and uh, uh, Jean and, and Sarah together. And then they return to Paris and immediately it just gets... In a tunnel. <laughs> yeah. And it's so tight and gray and there's lots of close-ups on the actors' bodies. I mean, so that, you know, the scenes are, are, are very kind of disjuncted in that way. We don't really get a sense of Paris as a city that we'd want to go to. I mean, it, it definitely seems like an unpleasant place to be, possibly. So I was wondering about that visual element of this. I, 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 I never tried to... I think the view from the balcony I like a lot. I like that balcony a lot. The balcony was already important in the script, you know. It, there was a balcony also in the novel. The gray and sinister aspect of Paris is due to the pandemic, in a way, because it was not easy to move from one place. And, of course, the little house of the grandmother, interpreted by Bulogier, is also... A, in a small suburb, it's not Versailles, and it's modest, and it's winterish, and it's in the middle of a pandemic, you know? I like very much the way from the radio station when you see the subway passing. Uh, it's those locations, I like them a lot, yeah. I mean, they, they are very precious to me. I, I think it's... Maybe it's not a place you want to go for your holiday, but for me, it's really places I want to make a film. And and how about the the way you shot you shot the film being very close on the actors and their bodies and kind of it's tight space. In an apartment, I think it was a little bit a necessity, you know. I, I was not going to have a studio built for for the film. It was a small budget movie and short time. I mean, and I think um, the way it's, I'm close to them, it's because maybe I was close to them also in my, with my feelings, you know. Close to their body, I do not agree. It seems a little bit uh, inappropriate. Uh, I'm close to their face. I don't have such an intimacy with their body. I don't think. I, I respect a little bit. Except in the hotel room with Francois, maybe. That's the only place where maybe there is more intimacy. I've, I've read people describe this as a very French film, but to me it only seems French in that in America you don't have that many uh, films with you know, movie stars in them that are emotional, kind of simple stories that, you know, that's that's a more rare film these days in it America. Used, it, made. It, mm, I, I don't agree. It used to be very American in a way, you know? In the past. Uh, yeah. Today, no. Yeah. But today, um, in the U.S., a lot of things has changed, huh? I think. Wow. When you say it's very French, yeah. It's very French. It's true. It's completely French. I'm French. It's shot in Paris. Uh, French actors. I was going to ask now that you're also making films in English and in America, 
if you have a calculus for what films you will make in English and what films you continue to no, make. In no, no. The last film I made, uh, Stars at Noon, with Margaret Quilly, I made the same way. And it's very close. I was also very close, a lot of love scene. Joe Alwyn and Margaret, no? No, no, I, uh, I don't make different uh, film because there is English speaking, no, no, no. Or Spanish speaking, no, no, no. I'm the same person with the same feelings. Yeah. And, and how about the love scenes and um, the, the intimacy and showing, you know, in America, again, I think that's slightly taboo to show older people or people in midlife um, in such intimate settings to have sex uh, like the on. way it is I, in the film? No, it, it, it's a new thing. Everything is, is, is uh, I will never go back to U.S. I, I, I've seen film with so many great actors uh, and Juliette Body is so beautiful. She's a glorious woman with a beautiful body and Jean, uh, Vincent is so, and Gregor, I, I don't know. I don't think, I hope America is not going to be completely paralyzed with those taboo, you know? It's horrible. Oh, no, I mean, but it's refreshing too to, to see people, right, um, without... You think it's refreshing to see taboo? No. <laughs> no. no. It, uh, I think Juliette, as the most beautiful body you can dream of, you know? Uh, when I see Juliette naked, I don't see, oh my God, she's middle-aged. No, 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 I don't think that. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. Not at all. No. But I think you are, I think there is a problem in America. People are going really uh, backward, you know? Don't you think so? You I want mean, to show only young people? Uh, only young bodies, and I love young bodies too, but it's weird. I think uh, at, at least Clint Eastwood still exists, you know? Yeah. I've seen Maverick, uh, yeah. uh, and, and I liked it very much, but I think this actor I like a lot is not so young. He's middle-aged. Tom Cruise, yeah. But they did replace the woman in that film with a younger woman to be his love interest as opposed to Kelly McGillis, who would have been older, you know? But they are very wrong. They are very wrong. Yeah, yeah. I like um, the film, but, but it's, it's a kind of, a, uh, it's a way to, it says a lot about the way those film company despise women. A guy could be middle-aged and a woman cannot. It's a pity. I agree. It's a pity. I agree. I think it's, uh, uh, it's wild. It, uh, life is not like that, you know? I, I don't understand this, you know? So at the end, you know, Jean has left Sarah and and we see her no 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 oh. no no at, at okay. before he says he gave her a choice he said i'm ready this is i'm sorry i've i've, I've been horrible to you but you have a ch let's split uh, not not separate but if you love him okay i will accept 
but me, I love you and I will still love you. So if you love me, stay with me, you know? So he gave her a choice and, and she's too tired to give an answer at that moment, you know, after the fight. And then the phone fell in the bus and in a way he sort of guessed it's Francois calling or something like that. And he think he, he thinks maybe she doesn't want to accept his proposal. And he and he le- he leave. And that's all I can say. It's um I I wondered though when the phone so when she so the phone falls in the bath and then it's, it's she can't retrieve any information from the phone the guy says you know sorry it's nothing it's all, nothing it's, it's yeah. all gone I was curious to you to me I almost thought that that was um hopeful that that had a hopeful element oh she can start over everything the past of has course. haunted her and now it's and now it's all gone it's yeah it's, of course of course the uh, of course it, it Suddenly she knows she's hurt and sad, but you could see on her face she's strong enough to, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. And then I also wondered, you know, for Jean, he doesn't have that same possibility of having his past wiped clean because he has been to prison. Um, And he has a son. And he has a son to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, I was curious for you, um, since this is a, a film about people, you know, somewhat haunted by the past. What Middle-aged people, as you would say. <laughs> Middle-aged people. Oh, God. <laughs> a French film. A French movie. Oh, horrible. Hey, I, I didn't call it a French film. That's just what I read someone else say. But yes, exactly. Middle-aged French people haunted by their past. But, um, for you, your own relationship to the past, if you think of your past as kind of a reservoir to draw on for fiction, if you feel that you're kind of ambivalent about it, if if it if it if you feel that it's just integral in who you are, like what role does your own past play in your life? I'm curious if you could sum it up. I don't know. Actually, I'm not aware. I, I, I'm sure. Um full of past and of course you can rely on the future to to tell a story Uh, and yet to make films it's a strange thing it's it's taking so much time so much all my thoughts all my so in a way I have a feeling I am a, the past is not, um, is not heavy on me. Not at all. Not at all. I, I love the past to remember the people of my family who are dead now, like my mother, for instance. But I think the past is also, it's, it's not a sort of, huge bag where you can grab stuff for a film. Oh, oh yes, I still have this little bottle. Wow, yeah. No, I think for me, the way I feel when I am about to find a, a story, 
when I am, when I think, oh, maybe this, uh, this suddenly, I, I always realize it's in front of me. It's something of the future. It, 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 it's not at all. A project is something I go toward, you know. I'm not at all looking back to make a film. Yeah. No. The past is like a cemetery, you know? So a film is middle-aged people or very young people making love. That's the future. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank I really you. appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the LARB Radio Hour. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts to help us get the word out, and we'd love to hear from you. The producers of the LARB Radio Hour are Medea Ocher, Kate Wolf, and Eric Newman. Our executive producer is Alan Minsky. Our sound engineer is William Broaden. Editorial production by Jake Levins. Our intro music was written and performed by Imogene Teasley-Blotton.